So, as I said before, um, Ollie and Hazel are going to preach God's Word to us today. It's great to have them preaching. Ollie's one of our elders in the church, so you'll have seen him around quite a lot, and Hazel as well. Uh, very involved in all that we do. Um, it's a while since you preached, though, isn't it, Ollie? A few years, a couple of years? I don't think I've heard you preach here, so looking forward to it. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to pray for them and then I'm going to hand it over to them. So Father God, I just pray that you will speak through Ollie and through Hazel this morning, Lord. Uh, Lord, we pray your word will be proclaimed powerfully. We pray give them confidence in you. Lord, anoint them and fill them with your Holy Spirit as they preach. We love them and we thank you for them. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Okay, good morning. Well, it is, it is great to be here this morning. It's really weird to be on this side of the chair, though. So, obviously, as, as we're not regular preachers, please extend us extra grace this morning. I don't think I'll say anything particularly wrong or outrageous, but bear with me. I was going to pray, but Mark just prayed, so I'll just jump. I'll jump right in. Uh, Mark preached a couple of weeks ago um, on that passage in Mark 10, where um, unpacking the passage where Jesus is responding to a question from the Pharisees about divorce. So we're going to delve into that a little bit more. Um, we thought it was an, an opportune moment to unpack a bit more about marriage uh, um, uh, this morning. So Mark did touch on that a little bit as well. And I do encourage you to go back and listen to his message because he did a, a good job of contextualizing the passage, um, which was really helpful. So we're going to start in, um, in Mark 10 uh, and, and uh, look at that passage again. Um, I met Hazel, as an introduction, I met Hazel... Um, in my first year of university. So I purposely chose the university I went to because I knew there was a, a solid church in that city. And I got connected to Don Smith's church. I was at the University of Brighton in the south of England. And Don Smith's a friend of uh, Christ, Chances, Christ Central Church here. And then uh, Hazel was volunteering and serving for that church uh, for a year. And we met at the end of that year. And then Hazel moved away for university herself to another, to another city. So we dated for a while. When I graduated, we moved cities together for my work. That was God leading us to another city uh, together. And then uh, we soon married. And so I would have been about, I would have been 20, I was 22 when we got married. Hazel must have been 10 or 15, because she tells me she's only 25 today. So, <laughs> so you figure that out. It was legal, anyway. Uh, we, thought, we thought we knew, we thought we knew what we were doing when we got married. Um, turns out we had no idea. And I'm still not sure we do, but we've been figuring it out as we go along uh, for the past 15 years. And in those 15 years, I genuinely count us blessed by God that we haven't had any severe trials, um, although we have had death and ups and, and, um, and difficult downs. We had a, a, the, the pleasure and privilege of being involved with a marriage course over the last few months, which we find really beneficial uh, and helpful to refocus us on our, on our priorities in marriage. I know it's really hard, incredibly hard to change certain things for sure, so it didn't magically fix any uh, big issues, but by the power of, uh, and grace of God, it did help us to, um, uh, you know, and our intention to work towards it, uh, it helped many of us for the better. And Hazel and I also had the privilege to be involved in some marriage courses in the UK. We led three courses in the UK, with, uh, particularly with young married couples, and again, we find that really encouraging. Um, ourselves. Now, we're not experts at all. There's many here who probably are more expert than we are. Uh, and we, and certainly I, constantly make mistakes. We try and learn, often don't learn. Uh, and we're still going. We're committed to working together uh, to make our marriage work and try and bless others and glorify God through our marriage. 
And just to say, anyone here who isn't married or thinks this doesn't apply to them, then I actually want you to pay particular attention. Many of you, if, if not most of you, will marry at one stage, and we want you to stay married. And these passages are just as applicable to everyone. Uh, I also want to acknowledge that some of you here, there are some difficult situations in marriages, and some of you may be divorced. And I want to just, again, to emphasize God's great love for you, whatever your situation. I'm not going to speak in, into specific pastoral situations today, and this is certainly not an exhaustive uh, message on marriage at all, but we hope it will serve you well as we look at one particular verse. And there's loads of passages in the Bible to look at um, for marriage, but we're going to go with um, where Mark was preaching from a few weeks ago. So it's on, it's on the screen, Mark 10, verses 7 to 9. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, different versions might say, instead of saying hold fast, they might say united to, or joined to, or cleave to. But the term hold fast is used for practicing covenant faithfulness. So like marriage, or like God's covenant with Israel. Uh, if I refer quickly to Deuteronomy uh, 10, verse 20, it says the, the same words are used. It says, you shall, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall, you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God. So, therefore, we see this phrase, hold fast, isn't just an encouragement or a suggestion or a light throwaway phrase. It's, you know, like, oh, hey, you know, buddy, try and hold fast, you can do it. It's, it's, a, it's a covenantal term. It's a, it's, a, it's a promise which demands faithfulness. So, i.e., that is, I, I promise to hold fast to you. And if we, just hold, if we just pause for a second there, just to consider who we're making that promise to. So, obviously, we're making it to our spouse, but we're also making it to God. You know, and we sang about him this morning. You know, the earth will shake. Um, the Lord God Almighty, uh, Holy Lord of Israel, Creator God, perfect, blameless, pure, spotless, glorious. He's a jealous God. And we need to try and have a glimpse of his holiness and his glory. So if you can try and glimpse that, you know, he, he who dwells in unapproachable light. We should have a good and healthy fear of God. And so making a covenant with him is not a light or flimsy thing. And yes, of course he is our friend, of course he is our Abba, for, Abba Father, absolutely. But let's not belittle the entirety of who God is any more than we already do in our limited uh, human understanding. And it says, you know, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And we're making that promise to a holy God. And this passage again, um, which we just read, is, is quoted several times through Scripture. So Mark mentioned that in his preach, you know, in, uh, originally in Genesis 2, verse 24, uh, Matthew 19, in the corresponding passage to Mark 10, and again in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 31 to 32, which Paul adds, the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So if it's a profound mystery, his and I might not unpack much more from it today, but uh, I guess the main question which, holds, uh, w w which comes to light, the first question is, how do we hold fast? And how do we hold fast well and not just hang in there by the skin of our teeth? How do we hold fast for 
50 plus years or however long it'll be that you're married. Well, I'm not going to get into um, romantic tips or date night ideas or love languages or how to communicate well, which is all good stuff to get into, but we're going to get right back to basics. I'd say, first of all, on your own, it's incredibly difficult to hold fast. Uh, though the verse clearly talks about the man holding fast to his wife. If the wife is straining away, if I'm holding on to Hazel and she's trying to escape from me, which sometimes she does, uh, it's really hard to hold fast. You know, it's talking to both of us. We have to hold fast as a couple. And if, you're, and if you're married or getting married, don't be so naive as to think you're strong enough to do this on your own as an individual or as two individuals or as, as a couple. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm not, I'm not talking about having a support network around you or a Christian family or Christian friends, which is good and you should have. Of course, I'm talking about God helping us hold fast. In our early days of marriage, you know, I had a good relationship with God, um, but I wasn't really seeking God to, to, to strengthen my marriage, I guess. I mean, I'd already got the girl. What else did I have to do? You know, I relied on myself and the young love we had, the attraction we had for each other, which is good and wonderful and long may continue, but it's not enough when difficult times come. Youthful looks will fail us, some of, some of us more than others. Uh, I guess the main point, if you're, if you're taking notes or if you forget anything else from this message, the main point is this. Think not so much about holding fast to your spouse, but holding fast to God. Think not so much about holding fast to your spouse, but holding fast to God. If we focus all our attention on marriage, our relationship with each other, or putting all our trust in marriage, then we're asking for trouble and we're heading for danger. So plainly put, one man and one woman cannot possibly live up to the perfect ideal. Marriage between two imperfect people can't be perfect. Even if, you, even if you think you're perfect, your spouse surely can't be, right? I mean, I should know I'm pretty perfect if our marriage isn't. Um, you understand my, my humor here. My, my attempt at Northern Irish humor. There's no, there's no other Northern Irish people here, so nobody else is going to get it. Now, most of us will say that, our, that God is our greatest love, uh, our Lord, the, the first place in our heart. But many things can creep in unaware or sometimes blatantly come in, which take a, a bigger priority, certainly in function, if not in theory. I guess what I mean is anything which takes, takes our gaze off God is a distraction. And at best, it's unhelpful. And at worst, it replaces God as the king of our heart. Or what we strive for, what makes us tick, what our focus is, which is what the Bible would generally call an idol. That's not a word we'd necessarily use today for that sort of thing, but uh, you know, we'd commonly... Uh, maybe be things like money or status or our studies, uh, work, material possessions, uh, other relationships. Ourselves is a huge one uh, nowadays. Ourselves being, you know, God, if you like. And ironically enough, marriage and kids and family. If we're honest, a lot of us have experienced in the past or are currently having challenges with keeping God king of our heart. I mean, Gary spoke about that this morning. Um, so if we, if we elevate even unknowingly our spouse, or our kids, or our family for that matter, to a place where we look to them for love, for reassurance, for encouragement, for safety, for security, which are all good things to want, and a spouse should try and provide those, but if we, look at, if we look to our spouse instead of God for those things, then we're heading down a dangerous path, and we're at great risk of creating an idol out of them, or our marriage, which will ultimately 
fail or, or make things really difficult and, and will let us down. And then our marriage can be in real difficulty. And if I let you into a tiny secret, we all fail in marriage sometimes. I think we all fail anyway. I do. I can be negative towards Hazel. I can be ungrateful. I can not serve her well. I can be selfish. I can be lazy. And, and Hazel fails too. I mean, so if we put our hope in each other, of course, we're destined to be disappointed. And of course, God never fails us, right? He, we'll never be disappointed in him. He, he's our encourager. He gives us hope. He satisfies our every need. So holding fast to God is so immensely important if we're to hold fast to one another. And look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying we shouldn't work on our marriages, to the contrary, but I am saying the best way to focus on our marriages is by focusing on God. Don't put all your hope in marriage. Put your hope in God. Don't put all your hope in marriage. Put your hope in God. If you're single, remember that phrase. If you're married, you already know marriage isn't easy. If you haven't figured it out yet, then I'll give you a heads up. It's, it's hard work. It's fraught with difficulties, with disagreements, stress, even loneliness sometimes. Guys, the, the chase can be fun. Uh, and some of you think you've got the girl, guy, and you can sit back and relax. But this is where the hard work starts. Don't try and fulfill your life with marriage or a girlfriend or boyfriend. Fulfill your life with a wonderful relationship with God. Firstly, individually, and then it'll come as a couple. Pursue a rich relationship with God. Spend time with Him, sitting in His presence, uh, reading His Word, spend time in worship, dwell on His goodness, His faithfulness, His promises. Uh, pray, be in community with other Christian men and women who are doing the same. Be encouraged. Eagerly desire the work of the Spirit. Store up these riches in the good years so you can withdraw on them in difficult times because they will come. Hold fast to God individually, then as a couple. Our individual relationship with God is perhaps the single biggest key to unlocking the potential in our marriages. And young peeps, yo, <laughs> West, West Side, what's up? I'm telling you, there is nothing more attractive than a man or woman totally in love with God and going for it in their relationship with God. Someone who is pursuing their relationship with, God, relationship with God, radiant in the joy and love and security of knowing who they are in Christ, is attractive. I mean, who says, ah, oh, you know that guy, he's so lazy, and he's so proud, and he loves spending money on himself, and, uh, you know, he, he, you know he's, he's so selfish. You know, oh, I love him, he's so awesome. <laughs> you know, guys, you, know, you get a grip on your relationship with God right? He changes us. He calls us to be selfless, humble, generous, kind, filled with joy and love and not lazy. And I say, I say to the young folk, but young guys, but you know, just as much if you're, if you're old or older um, and you've been married for years, it's the same. You know, work on your relationship with God. All right. So if we hold fast to God, the result will be, one result will be, an increased strength to hold fast to one another. A deeper attraction because we're becoming more like him. Because of what he has done in us and also by a process of sanctification. This doesn't always happen immediately or suddenly, but it's a lifelong process by the power of the Holy Spirit with refining by and molding by God's hand 
on our lives, often through challenges and struggles and mistakes, uh, learning from Scripture, um, learning from other mature Christians, persevering, we become a little more like Him. You know, for example, if we take the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which Mark mentioned in his message a few weeks ago from Galatians 5, I think it'll be on the screen. I'll just read that from verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Love, kindness, gentleness, joy, self-control. We will or can improve in all these things. And this is, of course, not just written to married couples. Of course it isn't. Um, But think for a moment how you interact with your spouse. Dwell for a moment on the fruits of the Spirit. So how do you react in certain situations with your spouse? What's your, what's your heart or your head response in these situations? Accusation? Or uh, being defensive? Or blaming? Or not thinking well of them immediately? Do you treat your wife or your husband with kindness? Men, do you treat your wife with gentleness? Women, are you patient with your husbands? You need to be patient with your husbands. Are you growing in joy? Verse 26, do you provoke one another? Are you selfish? Surely, if we become more sanctified by the power of the Spirit, then our marriages should show this too, right? And is this the case? Now, it won't necessarily solve all your problems, but it gives you a great ability to deal with and work through them, and also a better self-awareness of the need to take the plank out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our spouse's eye. Men, newsflash, you're probably not the perfect man. Uh, and it's good to pray for your wife to be patient, but maybe you need to be a little bit less lazy as well. So what matters most? Winning arguments or resembling Christ? So Paul encourages us to be imitators of Christ. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 1 John 2, Humility is key in marriage. In James 4, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. How many men here are always right? I mean, it's not just me, is it? Uh, you know, be Christ to your wife. Love her, encourage her, guide her. And through your relationship, encourage her to have a wonderful relationship with Jesus. And I'd say the exact same thing to the, to the women. Uh, he need, your, your husband, he needs your support, uh, encouragement. And again, through your relationship, encourage him to have a strong relationship with Jesus. Men, do you care about your wife's relationship with God? And women, likewise. Okay, I mentioned Ephesians 5 earlier. I'm going to read the, the verse again. So Ephesians 5, verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So holding fast glorifies God. Holding fast glorifies God because marriage was created by God to be a reflection of Christ's relation to the church. And from there, it's an example to the world of, of the gospel. You know, did Christ cheat on the church? 
He loved her. He loved her so much. He gave his all for her. Okay, so that, is that, if that seems hard to grasp, let, let me ask you another question. Um, what is the purpose of marriage? So I mentioned earlier about the idol of, uh, of yourself, selfishness, or, or, or of your spouse, or of marriage. So is the goal or purpose of marriage simply our own happiness, or to have a happy life? Which might be what the world would suggest. Or to have a companion, or to reduce the tax payment. Uh, does the Bible even promise a happier life if you're married? You know, probably quite the opposite, actually. Uh, is our own happiness the goal or purpose of our life? Perhaps that's what our worldview culture says. I'm going to read a page from um, uh, Francis and Lisa Chan's book, which we went through in the marriage course. So some of you will have seen this before. God is the point of your marriage. You must reflect him. Your marriage must reflect him. Most of our troubles in marriage are about the satisfaction you're not receiving, the frustration we're experiencing, the misunderstanding we're having to endure. But if marriage is about God, then these issues fade into the background. So here's the real question. Is God receiving satisfaction through your marriage? Is God frustrated with how you are living with your spouse? Is God being misunderstood in your marriage? These are the true marriage problems, but only if you reclaim the true point of marriage, if you hold on to the traditional wisdom about marriage and pursue a healthy marriage for the sake of your own happiness, you will be missing the very reason which God created marriage, for which God created marriage. Don't waste your marriage on your own happiness. See marriage as the gift it is. See marriage in light of God's purpose. So what is, what is the chief end of man? Many of you will know the Westminster Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if the purpose of marriage is to glorify God, well, how do we glorify God in our marriage? Well, I mean, it applies to us, obviously, as individuals and as a couple and a family in unity. And this question deserves way more time than we're going to spend on it because there's lots of answers and we've already unpacked some of that already. We've already talked about it some ways. But I would suggest that the outworking of this sanctified life we talked about, uh, as we know him more and become more like him, being alive in the spirit, then it's our actions in the day-to-day -day life, which is our witness, should become one of the huge ways of glorifying God, walking and talking through the gospel. And yes, again, as individuals, but also together, loving God together, serving God together, being on mission together as a marriage or as a family. A spouse or children need not, in fact, must not impede our mission. They come with us on mission. Being on a mission together as a couple or a family helps us hold fast to one another. Doing things together for God helps us hold fast to one another. So go and make disciples together. So how can you use your marriage and your family to serve God better? I said earlier, you know, pray and spend time with God. To point out something obvious, pray for your spouse and pray for your marriage. Pray together. And don't just pray, oh, oh Lord, help her will be uh, patient with me, help her be less angry with me or help her be a better baker, help her not make dry cakes. 
you know. Um, but, but, you know, pray, obviously, you know, pray, God, help me be a better husband. Help me be less selfish, God. Help me not be so lazy. Help me not, help me not uh, press Hazel's buttons like I, like I do, God. Give her, do give her patience, God. But God, give her wonderful times in your presence, God. Help her unpack your word and learn from your word richly, God. Bless her with your presence, God. Uplift her, encourage her, bless her. And, and more specific prayers than that, right? And pray for your spouse. Pray for their relationship with God. And we often harp on about prayer, prayer up here at the front. You know, pray, 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 blah, blah, blah. Go to prayer meetings and whatnot. You know, we desperately need your prayers as leaders and for the church. We need your prayers. Um, if you have a gripe about church, please pray about church. And you're most welcome to join us, of course, in our prayer meetings and life groups. But please go into your room and pray quietly to God where no one else sees you. That's what we need you to do, please. So we implore you to pray. Prayer is powerful. Prayer works. There was a girl at my university uh, who, I get her car broke down. Her, her oil light on her dash was on for, I guess, quite a long time. And she would literally put a cap full or a spoonful of oil into her, the, the oil thing like every day or every few days or something. And, of course, the car, you know, grinded to a halt and, uh, and died. She had no idea you had to put a few liters in. Nobody ever told her, I guess. Um, but is, is your prayer life like that? Is your prayer life for your marriage or for your spouse like that? Do you realize that there probably aren't many or any people praying for your spouse or praying for your marriage? So that's up, that's up to you, right? And if, it's, if, you're, in, if you're in difficult times, you fast, pray and fast. Pray and fast together. So pray for your marriage. It is so, so important. Don't let your marriage grind to a halt like that girl's car. Feed it with prayer. All right, so the introduction's over. So I'm going to hand over to Hazel for the, for the gold in, the, in, this, in this message. Thank you. During the week, I emailed our life group to say that we were speaking this morning. I asked them to pray for us, but I also asked them to smile. So it's nice to see them smiling. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to speak briefly this morning about maybe some of the things that are hindering us from holding fast to God. So I'm very thankful to Ollie. I genuinely find him hilarious, and I am his biggest fan. <laughs> um, we've had many adventures, wonderful times together, um, but we've also had some tough times, very annoying times, and some frustrations. Um, but thankfully, I've learned that Ollie isn't the one that I look to for my fulfillment or my hope. I love Jesus. He is so precious and so good and so, so faithful. And I want to have a great marriage that glorifies him. But I need God. This might be a very obvious thing to say, but I desperately need him. And I never want to think that I don't need him. Please do not be deceived that just because I'm up here this morning that I have this all sussed out. Um, because I don't. I still struggle and I fail constantly. But I have a yearning in my spirit that I want to make much of God in my own life. And I want other people to make much of God in their own lives too. Because I know from personal experience that when I'm holding fast to God and I'm making decisions in light of who he is, I see the effects on me personally. I see the effects in our marriage. I see the effects on my children and in our community. Now, I've had many ups and downs in my Christian life since we've been married. There's been wonderful seasons when I felt so close to God and I've really heard him whispering his promises in my ear. 
There's been seasons when we've really had to trust him and, and trust that he's going to be faithful again. But there's also been seasons where I've just felt blah. I've just felt nothing. And I've questioned the promises. I've questioned the truth. And I've questioned my place in everything. And when I look back, I know that when I'm in these places, that I've taken my foot off the gas. I've stopped pushing my shoulder to the plow. I've stopped equipping myself for the battle, for it surely is a battle. I've stopped sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, in these times, I would often tell Ollie how I'm feeling, and, and he'll sort of will say to me, so how have your times been with God recently? And like the gracious, patient wife that I am, I feel this rise within me. And I'm like, don't you know how busy I've been and how stressed I've been or how tired I am and this list of excuses. But of course, I really know he's right. My life does not make sense. My life does not have any purpose if I'm not in constant communion with God. Um, there are personal disciplines that I know that are good for me. Spending time with God, by myself, reading the word, <clears throat> and praying, and being at church on a Sunday morning, being in worship, hearing the word. I love being at life groups and getting to know people and hearing about what God is doing in their life and telling them about what he's doing in my life. I love being at the prayer meetings and, and worshiping God together with no other, other distractions of my children. Like today in worship, Finland was like a little cat. He just kept tapping me on the back. <laughs> I was like, what do you want? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> grace, grace. Um, and I love hearing what other people pray and what's on their hearts. And I love seeing how God guides us and directs us. Um, there's also seasons that we, call de- that we might call desert places and And looking back, we can see lots of fruit from those seasons. Um, But we have to be careful in these dry seasons that we don't take our foot off the gas, that we don't stop pushing our shoulder to the plow, that we don't stop seeking and trusting him, that we don't stop sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because if we do, we can allow sin to creep in, sin that so easily entangles us. And last summer, we we were on holiday in Australia, but it was their winter but it's not like our winter. <laughs> it's like a beautiful day in the fall. Anyway, so we were on the beach, but we weren't swimming in the sea, but we were having lots of fun, and we were running close to the waves, and then we were running away from the waves, and, and it was lots of fun, but the waves were really big and really fast. At one time, uh, Ollie and Finland were running in together, and I was, as they were running back up the beach, Finland tripped over, and there was this really big wave coming right behind him, and Ollie, without hesitation, he just scooped up Finland, and they kept running up the beach, and he didn't get wet. And we all celebrated. <laughs> now, when it was my turn to do it, oh, first of all, I was wearing a dress and I had a belt, but it wasn't like a belt with a buckle. It just had a little clip. Anyway, as I was running back up the beach, my belt fell off. And I really loved this belt. And um, that as it was going back in, and I had this slight hesitation because I had a backpack on, but I would have thrown myself into the sea if I didn't have the backpack on, I think. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> But I was hindered because I had a backpack on and it had, do you know, like a camera and stuff in. So Ollie was unhindered and he was ready to respond. But I was hindered and I was slow to respond. The Bible tells us to throw off everything that hinders us. Now, this is not a great analogy, but it goes a little way to help us see that if we're hindered by sin, we're going to be ineffective for the gospel. We need to throw off everything that hinders us. I've managed to highlight three different seasons that I've found myself in that you might be able to identify with at some point in your life. 
So sometimes I can be like my four-year-old son when I ask him to go and get dressed. He goes to his room, and then a few minutes later we hear, help, help, goodness, what's wrong? And so we go into his room, and, and there he is. He's laying on his bed, and he's got his pajamas on, and his clothes are on the floor that he's meant to be putting on. And I say, Finland, what's wrong? It's too hard. I can't do it. And I'm like, Finland, all you have to do is get dressed. He knows what he should be doing, but he thinks it's too hard. And some of us are like that. Holding fast to God seems too hard. We say, it's too hard, I can't do it. Or maybe we've tried really hard and tried to fix our marriage, but it's too hard, it didn't work. Maybe some of us tried really, really, really hard, but we stopped because it was too hard. And maybe some of us haven't even tried because it looks like a lot of effort. But we need to press we need to press on holding fast. Sometimes I've been like my seven-year-old daughter. When she gets dressed, she goes to her room. And a while later, when it's nearly time to go, I knock on the door, go to her bedroom. She is still in her pajamas. <laughs> and she's been distracted by a little piece of paper or a toy or, or something. She thinks she has all the time in the world. But actually, she doesn't. She has completely forgotten what she should be doing. And some of us are like this. We've become just so distracted by the world that we've forgotten that there is a battle raging. The distractions can be very subtle, like our marriage or our children, our work, our health. None of these are bad, but they're not to be our main focus. For there is, because there can be sometimes devastating consequences if we're focusing on those things. But if we, if we're not holding fast to God, what are we holding fast to? So some of us are distracted. Some of us think it's too hard, but gloriously, some of us are dressed in the armor of God and we are ready for action because we need to be, because there is an enemy that is prowling round like a roaring lion and he wants to rob me and he wants to rob you of your marriages. Our marriages that are a covenant relationship, our marriages that we promised before God that we would keep these vows until death separates us. Our marriages that we promised before God, sorry, our marriages that, we, that are to be used by God to be something beautiful to this world, our marriages that are a reflec reflection of Christ and the church. Now, to me, this is weighty, but none of these things are about how I feel. That's the whole point. It's all about God and bringing glory to him through our marriages. We need to be reminded constantly that marriage is not just intended to meet our needs, but it's to be an expression to the world about God's great love for them in how we love one another. So if your marriage or your life is not as you imagined it to be, then I would implore you to take a step back from your life and gaze upon the beauty of Jesus daily. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon who puts it much more eloquently. And he says, dear friends, we must all confess that if the religion of Christ be true, it deserves that we should give our whole selves to it. If it be a lie, let it be scored from creation. But if it be true, it is a matter concerning which we cannot be neutral or lukewarm, for it demands our soul, our life, our all. Its claims cannot be denied. There must be a determination wrought in our souls by the Holy Spirit to be upright and downright in the work of the Lord, or else we shall be little of worth. I don't want to live a normal life here on earth. I don't want to have a normal marriage concerned with earthly things. 
But as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, I want to fix my eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. He is so worthy of our praise. When our gaze truly rests on him, all earthly restrictions reduce in size. The more we love him, the more we decrease and the more he increases in us. And then as we sung about this morning, one day gloriously, we will stand in the throne room and we will join with the multitudes of angels and the peoples from all other nations. And we will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Thank you. I'm just going to hand you back to Ollie. That was brilliant. Thank you, Hazel. So Hazel mentioned um, about being dressed and ready for battle. Well, I'm, you know, Hazel had Spurgeon, but I'm going to bring out my big theological and exegetical observatory big guns right now in my grand finale to my last point. So here it is. Wait for it. Ephesians 6 comes right after Ephesians 5. There it is. There it is. Bam. Who knew? It's 5 and then 6. So joking aside, Ephesians 5 is an excellent uh, chapter about you know, Christian living, you know, walking in love, Christian marriage. And then immediately we swing into Ephesians 6, which looks at, uh, there's a passage on children, and then the armor of God. And I don't think we should really overlook the fact that, that almost immediately after Paul talks about Christian life and Christian marriage, that he talks about our spiritual battle. And I know you know it, but let's read it, if you can see it on the screen there, or in your, or in your Bibles. Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, will, which can help you, uh, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints." So there it is. We don't fight against flesh or each other necessarily, but against spiritual forces of evil. Pray at all times in the Spirit for your spouse, for your marriage. Persevere. Let's not ignore or underestimate the battle we're in for our individual Christian walks and for our relationships and for our marriage. The enemy wants to come in to lie, to steal, to destroy our marriages. But we must keep our eyes fixed on God. Hold fast to God in prayer. Hold fast to God in word. Hold fast to God in our deed. Hold fast together in God. To close, Philippians 3 says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So press on. Hold fast. Hold fast to God and hold fast to each other.
Father God, we are your people and you are our God. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You gave Christ to us. You gave the church as a gift to us. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and empower us by your presence to hold fast to you, to hold, hold fast to one another, to press onward toward the goal, to not be distracted, but in unity be a wonderful witness uh, together for your gospel, Father. God, we want to glorify you, Father, in our lives, in our marriages, in our individual lives. God, I pray you protect and strengthen our marriages here today. Lord God, in you we have fullness of joy. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the gift of marriage. Thank you, Lord. Amen.